0: Five, four, three, two, one. What's up, guys? It's Inside You, the college sports podcast, and we are back after a huge, huge weekend of college football. So let's get started right away. First off, I was right and I was wrong. I was wrong that South Carolina would beat Georgia. I was right that TCU would beat SMU. I was wrong that Michigan State would beat Arizona State. I was right that Clemson would beat Texas A&M. I was wrong that Florida would beat Kentucky. I was right that Houston would beat Arizona. I was wrong that South Florida would beat Georgia Tech. I was right that Iowa would beat Iowa State. And I was right that Colorado would beat Nebraska. So let's get started. Lots of things to talk about. First off, we can run TCU-SMU. This was a Friday night game in case you guys missed it. It was a very, very wet game. The game was delayed a couple of times for weather. TCU came out, didn't look great, got down early 9-0, to but then ultimately put it together and came back. This is a TCU team that was really sparked to life by a return punt for a touchdown by Carvante Benson. Benson, one of the most solid offensive pieces, most explosive players in the game right now. Very interesting to see a good kind of testing uh, game for Gary Patterson's team heading into their showdown against Ohio State this weekend. So next thing, Clemson, Texas A&M. This was certainly a game that people were very emotional about. If you missed it, uh, Texas A&M was driving for what would have been a tying score. One of Texas A&M's receivers caught a pass over the middle, tried to stretch out like so many players do for the touchdown, and in the process, he he fumbled the ball, and it was ruled that the fumble went through the end zone, resulting in it being a touchback. And because of that, Clemson got the ball on its own 20. Now, what's very important about this is that the fumble, had it gone out of bounds, it would have just been Florida State's ball. Excuse me, Texas A&M's ball at the one yard line. Instead, it was a t- ruled a touchback. Now they did review this play, but this just shows the importance of rulings on the field. And I don't get why, in this area of instant replay, when so much is reviewable, there's not a microchip in the ball where they can tell exactly where it went out. In my opinion, even with the bad angle that they had on the replay, it did look like the ball crossed over the pylon, going out of bounds before it actually crossed into the end zone. But the official on the field saw it the other way. And as a result of that, Clemson was able to sneak away with a tough road victory. So definitely a big win for Debo Sweeney's team. Very interesting to see the switching between Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant, Uh, in case you missed it. Trevor Lawrence had a huge throw to T. Higgins, although if we're being fair, it was mostly due to T. Higgins' own efforts that he managed to get into the end zone. Probably the most spectacular play I've seen so far in this season. Bryant showed great poise, great ball control. He was able to put the game away, and it was great to see the two of them work back and forth. That's a quarterback competition that I think will be ongoing, but with this win and with how bad some of the other teams look in the ACC Barring a monumental upset and a monumental collapse, Clemson probably just secured their chances of being ACC champion. So the next game we want to get to, Georgia and South Carolina. South Carolina, everyone thought this might be the year they finally managed to challenge Georgia for that SEC's championship, finally able to break through. There was a lot of pressure on Will Muschamp to perform. People thought maybe this is the game that finally returns him back to the old lore that he had when he first took that Florida job. Obviously, South Carolina did not perform. Jake Bentley looked very hesitant early on. He looked like he was trying to get rid of the ball. He left a couple of his receivers out to dry early, and that really hurt them in the long run. Georgia, on the other hand, while the offense was good, not great early on, their defense was very impressive, very important road win for them. And obviously now Georgia looks like they've won that SEC East, um, especially when you consider, you know, what happened with Kentucky and Florida this weekend, as well as Tennessee and some of those other programs in that SEC East. So good good win for them. Another big game this week in Oklahoma and UCLA. I don't think this game was about the actual outcome. I think most people realized that Oklahoma was going to win. I think what was most interesting for UCLA fans was seeing their team fight all up and the way to the last minute. Very impressive to watch. Shows me that even though they're young, even though they're untested, even though you have Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's a guy who wasn't even a starting quarterback until his senior year of high school, uh, quarterbacking that team with Wilton Spates injured, They've already bought in. They fought all the way, and it was a good showing by them. Uh, Obviously, a bit of sad news for the Sooners. Star running back Rodney Anderson got hurt, uh, looking like it was an ACL injury, but either way, it's been ruled a season-ending injury, so he's gone. Now, Oklahoma still has Trey Sermon in the backfield that they can rely on. He's obviously been impressive in the little we've seen him, but it's going to be interesting to see how the Sooners perform now. You know, we've already seen how much easier life can be for a quarterback when they have a star running back to rely on Stanford being the most obvious case right now. So it'll be interesting to see how Kyle, Kyler Murray adapts with Rodney Anderson gone, but good win for the Sooners. They continue to move forward and they look like the team to beat in the big 12 right now. So one of the sad games this weekend and sad in the sense that the team that was supposed to win didn't Purdue losing to Eastern Michigan. You know, Chris Brom entered the season with a ton of hype after taking Purdue to bowl eligibility in his first season. I was kind of sitting there going, where's all this hype from? He just finished the season 7-6. What's so impressive about that? And, you know, there was some rumblings that he could end up at Louisville pretty soon. You know, he's gone on record saying that Louisville will be a dream job for him. He has family in the area. Uh, Bobby Vitrainer, obviously getting older. Didn't have a great showing against Alabama but after Purdue losing its season opener at home and with a limited Clayton Thorson to Northwestern. And in this game, I don't think we're going to see Chris Brom leave anytime soon, frankly. And I think that bodes well for Bobby Petrino because I think if he did start to heat up, you might see the Cardinals athletic director say, hey, we want to get this guy before he goes somewhere else. So a uh, disappointing game. You know, I saw something saying that Chris Brom was going to quote-unquote punish the Boilermakers players for all the penalties uh the the reality with penalties is you know that's so much on the coaching for not preparing your team adequately there's very little you can control but you can definitely always control the condition of your team and the penalties and mental mistakes and that just takes practice and repetition so I don't put that on his players so much as I put that on the coaching staff so just something to note going forward uh, and this weekend, this is the game that officially killed Khalil Tate's quote-unquote Heisman candidacy. Houston just manhandled Arizona. Very impressive, not only by Houston's defense, the way they were able to corral Tate, but also Derek King and that offense. Marquez Stevens also had a very impressive catch. Uh, prior to T. Higgins' catch, it was the most spectacular play I'd seen of the season. You know, He caught it. It looked like he was down. He somehow managed to stay up on one hand, spun around and walk right into the end zone. Very impressive play. Very interesting to see what that Houston team does. I would not be surprised if they win their side of the American Conference. And obviously, uh, defensive tackle at Oliver continues his candidacy for a Heisman Trophy. Another dominant game. You know, even with him going up against a uh, walk-on center, he was still getting doubled and triple teamed on almost every play, and he still managed to affect the outcome of the game. So, great win for the Cougars. Next game, we've got Duke Northwestern. You know, Northwestern entered the season with a lot of hype behind them, coming off of three 10-win seasons. Uh, It was thought, you know, Clayton Thorson's a senior. They opened their new football facility that head coach Pat Fitzgerald was so excited about. And then they come out and they managed to upset Purdue in a game that I don't think anybody thought Purdue, or excuse me, Northwestern had a real shot in. Then Duke this weekend obviously beats them. Uh, This is a Duke team that's now 2-0 after beating Army last week. They looked very good. Now, unfortunately, quarterback Daniel Jones did break his clavicle, so he's going to be out TBD. But still very impressive start from the Blue Devils, although it may have ended there. Uh, Kansas, another big win for Dave Beattie. Dave Beatty took a lot of heat this week after the Jayhawks lost their season opener in Nichols State. Fortunately, they were able to win their first road game in years, so that's a good win for them. Congratulations, Jayhawks fans. Uh, I don't think this actually affects whether Beatty gets fired at the end of the year. Barring some just uh, unforeseen performance in conference play, I think they do look to make a change. But always good to see a team rally after suffering a defeat like they did. One of the bigger games, and one of the games that's kind of tr- getting traction right now, was the Colorado Nebraska game. This was a game that I did correctly pick the Buffaloes to win. Now, even though I picked them to win, I did think Nebraska had a very good chance because I was not impressed by the Buffalo's defense when I saw them play a couple of weeks ago. However, their offense is very impressive. Steven Montez is the real dude Holyfield. Leviska Chenault appears to be possibly the best player in the Pac-12 right now. Their combination is very fun to watch. But still, the defense was a concern, and Adrian Martinez certainly exposed that. He had a 41-yard run. It was the longest run that any Cornhusker player had had in the last two seasons. Now, this was a game that I think most people thought the Buffaloes had coughed up, but Adrian Martinez got hurt, and that gave Montez and crew one last opportunity. They were able to manage to score one last time, winning ultimately 33-28. Now, leaving this game with an injured Adrian Martinez, I know so far Scott Frost has said something to the effect of the Prognosis appears positive, but that does not guarantee whether he'll actually play this weekend. We'll have to wait and see on that. You know, there's also been some conjecture because Scott Frost said that they sent a video of the play that Martinez was injured on to both the Big 12 and Pac-12. He appeared to be implying that Martinez was intentionally injured. If that's the case, that's very unfortunate. You do not want to see that in college football. But at the end of the day, very impressive showing, even a loss. Certainly... You saw Martinez gain confidence on every play. It'd be hard for me to say that if he was healthy, they wouldn't have won that game. Ultimately, at least been able to tie it up and send it into overtime where who knows what could have happened. But unfortunately, the Huskers weren't able to get it done. And Scott Frost's uh, season debut or delayed season debut, matter of fact, uh, ended in heartbreak and a loss. But still, it was a very impressive showing by the Cornhuskers. You know, this is a Colorado team that last week beat a Colorado State team that this past weekend managed to beat Arkansas. Definitely a team that I think is going to surprise a lot of people in the Pac 12 this year. So for them to come out and hang as tightly as they did, uh as close as they did, very impressive. You know, you definitely saw Martinez's youth, a couple of interceptions, but still, when he was in the game, he certainly was a factor. So good win for the Buffaloes. Should be interesting to see how they play in that Pac-12 race. Now, in a game of uh most likely fire head coaches EC was able to best North Carolina. Uh, this may end up being the nail in Larry Fedora's coffin in terms of his time as head coach of the Tar Heels. You know, anytime you lose to a team like ECU, especially considering the fact that they lost to North Carolina A and T last week. And then you've got North Carolina who was three and nine last year. I know, I know, I know they've had all these players suspended. Well, in many ways, given North Carolina's recent history of coaches not having control over their program. I think the suspensions actually hurt Larry Fedora. Now I don't think he'll get fired during the season. I think they will let it play out, but certainly not a great start for the Tar Heels. Should be interesting to see what happens from there. The one good thing being, you know, the ACC does look uh, very interesting right now when you consider the injuries, when you consider how bad Florida States looked recently. So, Who knows what could happen, but not a great start for the Tar Heels, that's for sure. Then Iowa, best at Iowa State. The big news coming out of that game wasn't necessarily that Iowa won, but that Iowa State Cyclone starting quarterback Kyle Kemp sprained his ankle. Looks bad. He's rumored to be day-to-day. We'll see what happens. And then the one game that I got to see live this weekend, Mizzou, Wyoming. You know, Wyoming, very good defense. um, Lots of talent there. They have the preseason all Mountain West defensive player as well as returning Antonio Hall from injury. So the defense, in many ways, you think gets better. Drew Locke came out a little shaky to begin with, but did manage to put it together. Uh, It was a good one for the Tigers, a good kind of testing game. Still, after watching that, I can definitely say that I don't think Drew Locke is a realistic Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, While he was good, he was not exceptional, and I think you compare a very good quarterback with some of the more spectacular players we have right now in, in college football. He's just kind of going to go under the radar. So that moves us along to probably the biggest upset this weekend other than Arizona State, Michigan State, Florida losing to Kentucky for the first time since 1986. Anytime you're known as the coach who broke a streak, pun intended, that's not going to go well, especially when you're a new coach like Dan Mullen. You know, in many ways, it's kind of good that this game happened here rather than later in the season. Mullen obviously came in with a lot of hype concerning what he's managed to do at Mississippi State, and some of his actions have certainly increased that hype. But at the end of the day, he's still coaching a roster of players that he did not mostly recruit. Emery Jones, the one big piece of his first recruiting class, is not the starting quarterback. Most people said he would need some time to develop. So you've got Felipe Franks, who last year was average at best, never great. And that showed in this game where there was lots of mistakes and they failed to get the offense going. Great win for Kentucky. Very happy to see them break that streak. It should be interesting to see what more we can expect from Mark Stoops' team. You know, Stoops does have the support of the administration, which you would think would help Kentucky with recruiting. And very interesting is the fact that they're hosting Mississippi State in two weeks. Even with Mississippi State having defeated Kansas State this past weekend, That game was a lot closer than the final score would let you know. Certainly, Kansas State had their opportunities to make it a game. I'm not going to say they would have won. But you did definitely see Nick Fitzgerald look a little bit rusty. Who knows what would have happened against a more polished team. So, bad news for the Gators. Although, I think this is a good kind of sobering victory for Gators fans. It makes them realize that they're definitely not in the running for the SEC Championship anytime soon, definitely going to take another year, if not two, you know, you have to remember how much turmoil this program is currently dealing with. First, you have the scandal with players' credit cards that cost them a number of their car players, Uh, the big name being Callaway, who was drafted by the Browns this past year in the NFL draft. Then you have Jim McIlwain getting fired halfway through the year because of his alleging that death threats had been received by him and his teammates and his family. And then you have everything else that's kind of happened since with, you know, who the next coach was going to be. Initially, it looked like they wanted Chip Kelly. He said no. Then they picked Mullen. So there's a lot going on right there. Uh, With that being said, I still do believe in Dan Mullen. I do think he will return the Gators to dominance. It just might take take him longer than Gators fans would like. But that's the coaching game. So. That puts us at the next big upset of the weekend, which was Colorado State beating Arkansas. You know, Arkansas, kind of similar to Purdue. They hired Chad Morris, who people were very excited about, given his lone season at SMU. Morris is taking over a team that, you know, consistently underperformed under Brett Bilema. Certainly going to take them longer than they would like to contend in the SEC. And against a CSU team whose defense had been just ran roughshod by Hawaii and Colorado back to back. Arkansas's offense sputtered in the ending of the game, resulting in Colorado State managing to win their first game of the season. Uh, Definitely not a good sign for Arkansas. Now, with Colorado State, the issues have certainly been the defense and not the offense. KJ Carter-Samuels has looked good in small glimpses. He's definitely shown a a nice poise, but... Not a great win for the Hogs. And then that moves us to USC Stanford. You know, I don't think anybody who really followed college football thought that USC was going to give the Cardinals a run for the money. Uh, The Cardinals definitely had a lot of offensive pieces. The real story of this game was the offensive and defensive lines. USC's were just consistently manhandled. You had JT Daniels running for his life quite a bit of the game resulting in making two poor decisions which led to two interceptions um the story for me from this game wasn't necessarily bryce love sure he had that one run which kind of many people said like okay he's back he's finally in mode it was watching kj costello multiple times in the game you saw him audible out of their play into something different based off what he saw on the field it's nice to see him stepping up and taking more of a leadership role when he could certainly say you know what we've got bryce love he's a heisman trophy guy i'm just going to let coast behind him no you're seeing him step up and really kind of come into that role which the cardinals are going to need if they are going to challenge washington in the pac-12 north so usc lost i was right about this game but what it really showed was that well usc may win the south which i think there's a very good chance they do do i don't think we want to read too much into arizona state's one victory like i said colorado certainly has defensive concerns Arizona looks like a non-starter right now. Utah, well, they definitely have the most consistency in terms of a team overall. Has probably one of the toughest schedules in the Pac-12 this year. So when you put all that together, it definitely looks like, oh, and UCLA certainly is rebuilding. So when you put all that together, USC probably still does win the South. But whoever comes out of the North, especially if they play Stanford again, I don't think they manage to top them. And then that leaves us to probably the biggest upset of any game this weekend, even bigger than Florida failing to defeat Kentucky for the 32nd straight time, Arizona beating Michigan State. Now, a lot of people were high on the Sun Devils going into this game because of how bad Michigan State looked last weekend, but still, I think the money was on the Spartans and the Spartans, unfortunately, were not able to get it done for much of the game. They kind of stayed at that 13 point margin, which allowed the Sun Devils to come back. And then in the closing minutes, you saw Herm Edwards show great clock management, brought out Brandon Ruiz, their kicker, who knocked through an extra point. So the Sun Devils are 2-0. This is probably the most surprising thing. If you had lined up all of the new head coaches between Herm Edwards, Kevin Sumlin, Chip Kelly, Mario Cristobal, Scott Frost, Dan Mullen, Joe Moorhead, and said which one of these guys would look the best, at this two weeks into the season. I don't think anyone would have picked Herm Edwards. Certainly, I didn't think Herm Edwards was going to get the job done. He's impressed me. Now, with that being said, my issue with Herm Edwards never has been his ability to coach or, or necessarily develop talent. It's been this kind of broader mantra that Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson has said, where he said, quote, ASU should be a top 15 program every year. You guys just beat a top 15 program, and you guys, I don't think, should stack anywhere near Michigan State year over year. But, you know, who knows? I mean, certainly a big win for the program. Now, we have to be cautious, like I said earlier. We don't want to read too much into this. You know, this is early in the season. We we always have to wonder how this win might age. You know, if ASU goes and does terrible in Pac-12 play, is this going to look like nothing at the end of the season? But... Got to give kudos to Herm Edwards, his staff. Danny Gonzalez's defense did a tremendous job containing Brian Lewerke and uh, LJ Scott. Um, so it was a great one for the Sun Devil. she and they goes. And like I mentioned earlier, now that that Pac-12 South race looks to be a little more open, who knows what could happen. So that moves us along to the top storylines of college football right now. Obviously, the big one that I mentioned earlier, Oklahoma Sooners running back Rodney Anderson suffering a season-ending injury. Now, this isn't Anderson's first season-ending injury. It's actually his third. Very unfortunate. This is a guy who could have gone to the NFL but decided to come back, felt like he had more to show. Now, I'm not sure we're going to see him again. That might be it. You also have to consider how this impacts the Sooners. You know, they're playing – Iowa State this weekend. And granted, even though Iowa State didn't look great, they did manage to defeat them with Baker Mayfield last year. So a lot of intrigue in how Anderson's injury impacts the Sooners. Definitely could play into that Big 12 race, but certainly sorry to hear. Hopeful for a quick and speedy recovery for Anderson. Next big thing we want to talk about is uh last weekend, following Kansas's loss to Nickel State a university of kansas law professor sent out a tweet basically questioning why kansas still had a football program even though they didn't do well they lost money and uh, the brain injuries uh, obviously but that's more of kind of a non-sequitur the bigger issues were you know losing money and their lack of performance on the field now let's be clear we certainly had a decision by many schools when the initial conference realignments occurred in 2010ish. Uh, at many, that time, many schools did decide to drop basketball, or decided to, decided to go to go to go to go to a lower level conference, or some decided to go to a higher level conference. But since then, everyone's kind of stayed. <clears throat> everyone's kind of stayed uh, consistent in where they're at. What we're seeing recently, which I think is interesting, is more of a realistic approach by programs where they're not saying we have to win a championship. They're saying, let's just get bowl eligible or let's just compete for a conference every three years. But, you know, when we talk about football losing money, which has kind of been a, a fun and increasingly popular narrative, you have to look at it in the broader picture, which is true. Kansas football program may lose money, but how much money does Kansas as a whole university bring in every year because of their share of that Big 12 revenue? You know, if you look at the revenue splits between, let's say, the Catholic seven, AKA the new big East and the big 12, or really any power five conference. And for that matter, any dual uh, football and basketball conference, you're going to see a ridiculous difference in the amount of revenue. And that's just from a simple reality in that one channel is only viable for what four months of the year. And the other channel is viable for nine months of the year because you go from summer practice into spring practice excuse me, spring practice into summer practice. You have all the hype surrounding the different positional battles. Then you go into the actual season. Then you've got the bowl season. By the time bowls finish up, it's January. You're right into the meat of conference basketball season. Then you go into March Madness. Then March Madness finishes and you're right into spring practice. And it's just a continuing cycle. So one channel is viable all year long. Another channel is only viable four months of the year, five months of the year at max. And also the longevity of the sports is different in that when you invest in a college football player, you know that guy's going to be there for at least three years. Right now, with this current state of college basketball, you could be investing in these guys for like eight weeks. I mean, some of these guys get to campus and then for one reason or another never end up being en- eligible, never actually end up playing a game for that school and then going right to the NBA draft and that's it. So, you know, that's certainly a fun narrative. It certainly gained some steam. But when you really look at it, you don't want to look so much at what does one individual sport do in terms of losses? You want to look at the overall net benefit, and I would be shocked if even with them losing whatever it is they lose at Kansas on football, the overall net benefit is extremely positive for all of Kansas' sports, its entire athletic department, just because of their share of that Big 12 of revenue. I know for a fact that a couple of years ago, the share for an SEC school is I think $187 million. Now, the Big 12 is not going to be that much, but the point is, overall, even if they lose money on one sport, if it's a with a money-making sport, meaning football or men's basketball, and in some cases, rare cases, women's basketball, overall, they're going to be just fine. So let's get rid of those shenanigans. Now, kind of a late trending story, which is very interesting to me, is that some people started to report that Jalen Hurts, Alabama's backup quarterback, was in fact going to redshirt Uh, I don't know if I'd buy this for a couple of reasons. First off, I don't know if I buy it because it doesn't make sense that he would announce a red shirt this early into a season when we've only played two games. He can in theory play in two more and still be eligible. Second reason I don't buy it is because what happens if Tua gets hurt? Is he just going to say, screw it, let me burn a year of eligibility just so I can help a team. This is a team that really hasn't been supportive of him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But, I've already myself wondered aloud how the, these new four game rule would come into play, but I don't know if it's something as set as Jalen Hurts having gone to Nick Saban or Nick Saban having gone to Jalen Hurts and saying, hey, you're Red Trini. It Just It seems way too preset for me. There's so many other things to consider, especially with some of the rest of the games on Alabama's schedule. where Hurts could see mop-up duty or significant playing time, depending on what happens. So we'll have to see what happens there. But That kind of parallels to a different thing I want to talk about, which is the different handlings of the quarterback controversies at Clemson and at Alabama. You know, Dabo Sweeney is a guy who a lot of people have said could be the guy who ultimately replaces Nick Saban at Alabama. I don't know if I believe it, but we'll have to wait and see. But one thing that Dabo has done consistently, which you have not seen Nick Saban do, is Dabo has consistently backed Kelly Bryant. In fact, he's backed Kelly Bryant so much, that he's actually going kind of in direct contrast to popular opinion, which says play Trevor Lawrence, the five-star freshman with a cannon. So he's consistently said, no, Kelly's the guy, he's done nothing to lose this starting job. He's kind of building his quarterbacks. And we've never seen Nick Saban do that. Rather, it's kind of consistently this narrative of, I don't know, we'll see what happens. And so if you're wondering why, well, Nick Saban's never supported Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts is a guy who is 26 and 2 as a starter. He's taken him to two national championships. I mean, what more does the guy need to do to get one positive word out of you as, a, as his coach? And he's not getting it. So it doesn't surprise me that he's been displeased. It doesn't surprise me that he's unhappy. And it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me if he does ultimately end up redshirting. But I don't think that this has been such a case as they've sat down, whether it's Jalen Hurts and Nick Saban or Jalen Hurts and some people he trusts, whether it's his father, family, friends, whatever, and said, this is what we're going to do. So we'll have to see what happens. That just broke today but uh something to watch for sure now the last thing we want to talk about is targeting and this kind of goes with some of the stuff i was saying earlier which is you know more and more now we're seeing the game of football trying to be civilized and i do think for the most part it needs to happen especially as we learn more and more about the connection between brain injuries and ct and some of this other stuff but We also have to remember that this is a game where you have guys running at each other full speed trying to tackle each other and that that is never going to end in just a simple little brush or you know a little scrape. This is head-on-head, full-body collision. So with targeting, they've definitely done a lot to try and decrease the number of uh, reviewable plays, uh, when you can review targeting, what targeting is. They're certainly trying to take out the usage of the helmet as a weapon, and that's important and it's great. But when I think of targeting, I want to see something that actually indicates that player A intentionally tried to hurt player B. And too often what we see is a receiver goes over the middle, he jumps up or he catches the ball behind him, so it's kind of awkwardly, and you have a DB who's just going to make a tackle. And just because one guy's up here, up top, and another guy's down low, another guy's down low, another guy's coming across up top, it results in a guy getting a targeting penalty, and that's so just over civilizing the game. It's now making it that these DBs don't even have a chance, and it's not fair. So, we definitely want to use some common sense there. You know, there was one play in particular in the uh, Georgia Tech game that resulted in a Georgia Tech defensive back getting ejected. Where I was looking at it, going, Okay, yeah, their helmets hit, but this was just because of that freak one nature of play of these two bodies colliding. It had nothing to do with one guy trying to hurt the guy, he didn't launch himself didn't use that face max as a weapon, like they always talk about. So it should be interesting to see how this comes into play, uh, particularly in the Pac-12, where they've done they're kind of at the forefront of enforcing targeting and trying to stop it. But I do think we need to be careful when we implement these new rules of just having some common sense. So that moves us to this weekend games. Started off right away, you've got Troy taking on Nebraska. This is a Troy team that, even with having lost to Boise State earlier, still very good. Still has Nero Brown. Now, this game certainly is going to hinge on whether Adrian Martinez is eligible to play. If he's not, you've got Andrew Bunch, who's a walk-on, who would be the starter. Certainly would have a different look if he is the guy. Um, And this is really where uh, the transfer of Tristan Gebbia following his losing the quarterback competition to Adrian Martinez certainly hurts the Huskers. Now they're without a scholarship quarterback on their roster so it should be interesting to see how scott frost manages with that um still i think the huskers take it solely because of their run game i think they have enough big bodies and power to just kind of control the ball it may not be an impressive win but i do think they will win but like i said the outcome of this game could certainly change depending on whether uh, adrian martinez or andrew bunch is the starting quarterback so next game florida state and syracuse Florida State uh, right now, definitely one of the most unimpressive schools to start. You know, Willie Taggart came in with a lot of hype, a lot of this type of conjecture regarding, you know, we're going to change the way that, um, you know, we, we're we going to change the way that we uh, do things here. We're going to, uh, you know, be more precise. These guys are going to practice better. They're going to get to know their teams better. And unfortunately, so far, that has not been the case. Um, the uh, Seminoles have looked really bad in their two games so far. They lost to Virginia Tech in a game that really took a lot of the energy out of the FSU crowd. And then this past weekend, they, took, they needed to the fourth quarter to defeat FCS member Sanford. And now this weekend, they're taking on a Syracuse team, which last season managed to beat Clemson and also almost beat Miami so I and they've got Eric Dungy back he's looking like a possible French Heisman Trophy contender so with all that it's hard for me to not pick Syracuse uh, Dino Babers team I don't know if they'll be bowl eligible this year but they're certainly trending in the right direction versus Willie Taggart's team is not and it's kind of impressive it's kind of sad and in many ways intriguing to see what the seminars are doing you know last season they lose DeAndre Francois James Blackman comes in and they still manage to continue their streak of bowl eligibility. So that was great. But this season, you have to almost wonder if they'll even be bowl eligible. That's a thought you never think you'd hear with the Seminoles, particularly with Willie Taggart and his supposed high powered offense. So I'm picking the Syracuse, but we certainly want to monitor uh, Florida state going forward because how this season ends up could certainly get, could certainly impact the Seminoles future. So, Another big game this weekend, you have LSU taking on Auburn. Now, LSU right now is riding high, and they're going to continue to probably ride high the rest of the season off of that Miami victory to open the season. But that game, even with LSU having totally manhandled um, Miami, was definitely not a clean game. Joe Burrow looked good, but not great. And I think what you're going to see in this game is the Tigers have a great quarterback in Jarrett Stidham. And they're going to be able to do enough between running the ball and between Stidham's play to pull off the victory. So I'm taking Auburn there. Then you've got Boise taking on Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State so far undefeated. And they do have Justice Hill at running back. But Boise State is picked by many to be the, a, a New Year's Six Bowl team coming out of that group of five. And I think they do get the win there. Then you've got University of North Texas taking on Arkansas. You know, this is a North Texas team that beat SMU in the opening week. They've got a dependable quarterback in Mason Fine. And you've got an offense an Arkansas offense that's certainly questionable right now. So I'm taking North Texas. That moves us on to Oregon State and Nevada. Now, Oregon State, obviously, they did not do well their first week of the season, They did not look good against Ohio State, but this Ohio State team is so talented that you're going to be hard-pressed to find anyone that will look good against them. However, I have been impressed with the play of Artavius Pierce. Granted, he could be injured, but also Connor Blunt in Jonathan Smith's new offense. I do think that they're going to do enough this weekend to beat the Wolf Pack, so I'm taking Oregon State there. That moves us to one of the first big games this weekend, which is Ohio State and TCU. Like I mentioned earlier, a sloppy, sloppy victory for TCU last week, but still got the job done. Ohio State, on the other hand, is entering the season in the last week of Urban Meyer's quote-unquote suspension. Uh, still, even with this being Ohio State's first road game of the season, it's going to be hard for me to not pick the Buckeyes. I think they do get the job done here, and they moved to 3-0 and before Urban Meyer returns officially to coach games on Monday. That brings us to USD and Texas. Texas, you know, very disappointing start to the season with that loss to Maryland. USC coming off a very disappointing loss to Stanford. Uh, This is a game last year, which was a lot closer than most people expected. Had it not been for phenomenal play from former Trojans quarterback Sam Darnold and clutch play by kicker Chase McGrath, the Trojans probably lose that game. This year, Sam Ellinger's back. I know he struggled early, but I think him, Colin Johnson, are going to do a great job of picking on USC's cornerbacks. You know, we saw what Stanford could do with big wide receivers against USC's cornerbacks. I think you see Tom Herman realize that he's going to pick on them, look to create Mitch Maness, throw a lot of jump balls, and I think the Longhorns get it done. And I think that'll be the win that hopefully propels this Longhorse team to a higher level They definitely have been unimpressive so far. Granted, they didn't win last weekend, but the stench of that Maryland game was still on them. Still, though, I am picking the Longhorns. That moves us to Oklahoma and Iowa State. Matt Campbell's team last year able to upset the Sooners. Certainly a big win for the program, a big step forward, but this is a game that could be without Cyclones starting quarterback Kyle Kemp. Kyler Murray has looked possibly even better than Baker Mayfield. And even without Rodney Anderson, I still think the other pieces between C.D. Lamb and Trey Sermon are enough for the Sooners to get it done. So I'm picking Oklahoma. Then we've got a Pac-12 matchup between Washington and Utah. And for this one, you know, Washington entered the season with a lot of hype behind them. They obviously didn't get the job done in week one against Auburn. Utah, on the other hand, is a model of consistency compared to most of the teams in the Pac-12. They've managed recently to retain not only their head coach and their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator and their starting quarterback, and I just feel like in this game what you're going to see is while it may not be a pretty game, the Utes managed to get the job done. It would what would be considered an upset, so I think Utah does manage to pull this game out, um, although it will definitely be close. And then we've got another uh, Pac-12 team, UCLA, taking on Fresno State. Now, like I mentioned earlier, one of the most intriguing things of that first of that game between UCLA and Oklahoma was that in many ways this would have been the perfect game for a team that was unexpected to even compete to go in there and then as soon as the score got ran up, quit and just say, you know what, we're young, we'll learn, we'll do we'll get better and we'll try again next week. No, that's not what we saw. The Bruins fought until the end. They put up 21 points. You saw Dorian Thompson Robinson continue to get gain experience throughout the game and Bruins head coach Chip Kelly really did manage it perfectly at the end of the game when he said the only person I'm disappointed in is Billy Bean that's the Oakland Athletics general manager for not giving Kyler Murray a larger signing bonus so that he would go and play baseball so I'm going to pick the Bruins there in what would be considered an upset I think what we're going to see is a Bruins team kind of finally break through you know I don't think they challenge for the Pac-12 this year but They're certainly young. This is a team that's 72% freshmen. And I think what we're going to see is the -the on-the-job training they've received the last two weeks finally pay off. And then the last game of the weekend is ASU taking on SDSU. And obviously SDSU right now, a bit of a question mark. You know, they entered the season with a lot of hype on my personal picks. I thought they'd finish either first or second in their division and maybe even challenge Boise State in the Mountain West. Unfortunately, they didn't get the job done against Stanford. Still, though, they were able to hold Bryce Love to only 29 yards. And then this last week, they struggled to put away a Sac State team. Conversely, you've got Arizona State riding high after upsetting Michigan State. And really, this game doesn't come down to the fact that one team might be better than the other. It's that I think what we're going to see is Arizona State is going to enter this game hungover from its upset victory over Michigan State. And you're going to see San Diego State control the ball, get dirty, and do enough to win the game, uh, do just enough to win this game. A nice little sub, interesting subplot here is that Arizona State's defensive coordinator, Danny Gonzalez, used to be the defensive coordinator at SDSU. Both teams will be utilizing some variation of the three-three-five defense, so that should be fun to watch. But I am picking the Aztecs there in a very, very close game. So that's a wrap for today. A little bit of a longer episode than what we've done recently, but there was a lot to get through. I will be back on Wednesday to give a full and and complete and thorough discussion of all of the new head coaching hires in the Power Five right now. I will analyze them. I will go through what they've done and what I expect going forward. Furthermore, I will analyze the Heisman picks uh, and favorites so far. And obviously, since it's Group of Five Wednesday, we'll go through some of the top Group of Five games. So be back on Wednesday. See you guys soon. Inside you, the College Sports Podcast. Bye.